Author Rick Hansen one night was stressing about all the things that were undone from the day. He had all these tasks that he'd never completed and he was stressing about, that, about them because they were just so important to get done that day and he didn't. And he was walking through his home and walked by a mirror. And as he walked by, he glanced in the mirror and he took notice of the t-shirt he was wearing. He said it was a joke gift from his wife, which he had worn many, many times before this moment. But looking at it at that particular time of night, after everything that was going on, it stopped him in his tracks. On the shirt is a picture of a galaxy from one end to the other, all these swirling designs. And out of the swirling galaxy, out of one side of it, sticking up was a little sign. The sign said, you are here. He said the doors of perception flew open, and he said it really hit him. He wrote in an article later, yes, we are actually here, off to the edge of a vast floating whirlpool of stars, alive and conscious, walking and talking on a big rock, circling a bigger burning ball of gas. Here now, nearly 14 billion years after the cosmos emerged out of nothing. What the heck? He shared that his mind stopped talking, and he felt delight. Delight and awe as of a, a little child who for the first time maybe saw a butterfly or tasted ice cream or realized the stars above are really far away. He writes, gratitude and wow and something edging into sacred washed through me that night. In a word, I was amazed, which means filled with wonder and surprise, even overwhelmed with wonder. As we come to this third Sunday of Advent, we've learned so far over this season to acknowledge our own weariness, to find joy in connection with others. And today we hear a message of allowing ourselves to be amazed. Speaking of being amazed, apparently Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives were not aware of her pregnancy. I mean, last week we heard she was in seclusion when Mary visited her. Scripture then tells us when neighbors and relatives hear of the birth of Elizabeth's son, they say the Lord has shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. They shared the joy in connection with each other and Elizabeth. Because of her advanced age and history of infertility, her bearing a child would no doubt have amazed everyone who heard it. And that amazement led to joy and joy being shared. There was great rejoicing with Elizabeth after the birth of her son. The Greek word for rejoice means to celebrate God's grace together. To celebrate God's grace together, to share in someone else's joy. Then when Zechariah's voice returned after the naming, he rejoices by praising God through singing. In the story, we see the ripple effect of how joy that's contagious grows and grows when it's shared. But there seemed to be a pause in the joy in the middle of the scripture, a pause in the praise and the joyfulness. When it came to the name of the child, not aligning with the traditions of the day. It appears that in the week following John's birth, the neighbors and relatives of Elizabeth and Zechariah had assumed 
that the child would be named after his father. In fact, verse 59 might be literally translated as they were calling it the child Zechariah. And then Elizabeth tells them that the boy is to be named John. This seemed to be a strange choice since the parents had no ancestors named John. Elizabeth said, his name is John. And then they said, well, okay, Mary, let's, let's, okay, see, now I need to back up. Okay, Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth, John. Well, let's, let's ask the father of the child. They didn't believe her. They didn't believe Elizabeth could name the child. So they said, you know, let's, let's ask Zechariah. To everyone's amazement, Zechariah wrote down the name John. And as a divine sign that John was indeed the correct name, Zechariah was suddenly able to speak. The last word that Zechariah had spoken before losing his speech had been an expression of doubt. How can this be? As we've heard not only from him, but Elizabeth and Mary as well about how can this be, Elizabeth asked. Mary asked the same thing. How can this be? But at the naming of the child John, on this moment... He could speak again, and he praised God. After Mary's How Can This Be, she sang a song as well, the Magnificat. Zechariah sings a song which is called the Benedictus, and that's translated as blessed. It is filled with words of joy. And while praise and joy and amazement were the order for the day, fear came over the neighbors. And the rumor mill went wild. Everyone who heard this wondered, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Last week I mentioned that in the Gospel of Luke, joy is a major theme. Well, another major theme for Luke is amazement. There are many people specifically described as being amazed, certainly in the neighbors of the Judean hill country at John's birth. Everyone in Bethlehem was amazed who heard the shepherd's good news. And Mary and Joseph were amazed after they received Simeon's blessing of the child Jesus in the temple. So many instances in these opening chapters when we presume the characters are filled with wonder and awe, including when Zechariah discovers he can speak again. Why does Luke's gospel emphasize joy and amazement and and wonder while telling the birth story of Christ. The fact is, when we are amazed, we tend to share the good news. And we're either either seeking validation that it's, it's shocking news, or to witness the shock factor the news has on somebody else that we speak to. I mean, if I were to tell you that you would be paid $1,000 for coming to Christmas Eve service, what would your second reaction be? I mean, obviously, your first reaction would be amazement, wondering if it's true. But your second reaction would be to tell someone else. Again, either to get them to believe you or to see if they are just as shocked as you were when you got that news. In Psalm 126, we are reminded that whenever amazing things happen, we find a way to rejoice. We hear the words, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done 
great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. When we acknowledge our weary world while remembering what God has already done and is already doing, then we can rejoice. How does amazement change and and shape you? What does it compel you to do? I mean, as soon as Zechariah's voice returned, he decided to sing. And not just any song, but a song of thanksgiving to God, a, a lullaby, a blessing for his new son. You might argue that for Zechariah, the wondrous miracle of of finding his voice compelled him to rejoice, to thank God, and to pass blessings on to others. Can we allow amazement to do that within us as well? Sharon Salzberg, an author and mindfulness teacher, describes awe as the absence of self-preoccupation. And she argues it can help silence your inner critic. Zechariah's initial response to the angel's news was, how can this be? He was being critical and wanted certainty. Perhaps the miracle of finding his voice silenced his inner criticism of himself, allowing him to be swept up into awe, giving thanks for his place in the larger community of faith. What do you think we can learn from Zechariah's transformation? How do we get swept into awe and amazement? We might describe awe as many things, but Dr. Dachner Keltner, a psychologist, describes awe as the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. It's vast, yes, but awe is is also simpler than we think. And it's accessible to everyone. The doctor in his book, Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life, shares several ways that we can can practice to allow ourselves to be amazed and in awe every day. First and foremost, he says, you need to pay attention. In 2016, Dr. Keltner did pay attention when he visited San Quentin State Prison in California. There he heard inmates speak about finding awe in the midst of being incarcerated. They said the air, the light, reading, spiritual practice. He said, I was like, oh, I can just take a breath and look around. It doesn't require privilege or wealth. Awe is just around us. Once we think about the context about what went into creation, awe and amazement will follow. Secondly, Dr. Keltner says we need to focus on the the moral beauty of others. One of the most reliable ways to experience awe, Dr. Keltner found, was in the simple act of witnessing the goodness of other people. When we see others doing small gestures, like walking an older person across the street, we can start feeling better and are also more likely to perform good deeds. Yet he says goodness in others is often overlooked. All the more reason to, he says, pay attention. If we notice those around us who are dedicated to goodness or having a better family life than the one they were raised in, 
or to being good to their neighbors, we can strengthen our own sense of awe. Dr. Keltner reminds us we need to practice being mindful. Distraction is an enemy of mindfulness. He says we cultivate awe through interest and through curiosity. Mindfulness helps us to focus and and lessens the power of the distractions around us. If you work on mindfulness, he says, awe will come. And the final way, he says, to, to practice this, opening ourselves up to awe, is to choose an unfamiliar path. Maybe we could call it the road less traveled. Awe often comes from novelty. So moving towards the unexpected can set us up to experience awe. Some people do this more than others, and it's actually considered a personality trait that experts have called an openness to experience. We can work on developing this openness through our everyday choices. Choose a restaurant that you don't usually visit. Take a different route to work or home. Check out some music you aren't very familiar with. Choose the road less traveled. So again, to practice allowing ourselves to experience awe, we are to pay attention, focus on the good deeds of others, practice mindfulness, and again, take the road less traveled. And maybe together, we can help the weary world rejoice by allowing ourselves and each other to be amazed at the world around us. And then we can repeat the words from Psalm 126, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. When was the last time you were truly amazed? Have you ever experienced the feeling of amazement then turning into an unexpected joy? How do you practice looking out for awe and wonder now? Maybe through the the habits that Dr. Keltner shared, you can exercise allowing yourself to be open, to be amazed more frequently. And then sharing the joy you find, the unexpected joy, with others. We say we practice our faith. We need to practice awe and wonder and amazement. And it's out there. We just need to pay attention. Amen.